1: it's time to tell them all, we're up and stand tall. America, we're a winner. Hear us now, hear us now on a sunny Sunday. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? Episode 216, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for continuing to listen, download, support the podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. It truly does. Going to do a 10-topic Friday show today. And I want to tell you right off the top here that initially I intended on having a guest with me. However, to be completely honest with you, I've been under the weather a little bit over these last few days, have not really had a chance to coordinate something with anybody. So I'm just going to bang this out today on the solo tip. Plus, I've really, I'll tell you what, recently on this podcast, I've really been able to have some good guests on, a lot of recurring guests. I had Bruce Nolan on just this past Tuesday. I've had Greg Thompson from Cover One On, uh, Joe Marino from the Draft Network, Matt Marino from New Yorkup.com, Nate Geary from WGR 550. So the podcast has definitely not lacked in quality guests over the last few weeks. But like I said, I just haven't really had an opportunity these last couple of days to hook up with somebody. So going to do these myself. I did this once before. The format, extremely self-explanatory. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Uh, my computerized lady friend. I'm gonna call her Tammy this time. I'm gonna keep coming up with a different computer generated voice name every time until I find one that I like. But anyway, today it's Tammy we'll call her. She's gonna spit out ten topics that I'm gonna discuss. Some are requested by listeners on social media. One or two of them I threw in myself, so I'll hit on them. Some more than others. Pretty self explanatory again, no need to really. Around with the format here, so let's just get rolling right with the first topic. And uh, computerized Tammy, what do you got?
0: Who are some of the most hated Buffalo Bills opponents in franchise history?
1: This came up early in the week. I can't remember how it came about, but I ended up putting up a poll on Twitter asking fans who the most hated villain in the history of the Buffalo Bills was their most hated opponent. Got some pretty good answers. I had three primary candidates and a writing candidate. Going to name a couple, these are honorable mention people that I really don't think are worthy of being near the top, but they're at least worth mentioning. A lot of fans on, uh, again, on Twitter said these names, Don Shula, Bill Belichick, uh, Julian Edelman, Bob Kuchiburg who played for the Dolphins in the 70s. And if you want to go outside of football itself and talk about media, you got Omar Kelly, a reporter for the Dolphins who... Hates Bills fans and the feelings very mutual, of course. And pro football focus, PFF, who is very, at least in the eyes of many anyway, anti-Buffalo Bills with their coverage. I don't necessarily buy that, but that's a sentiment anyway. So those are some of the honorary mentions. Terms of the most hated players or coaches, because I do have one coach on this list. I'll start with Dan Marino, an obvious choice here. He was Jim Kelly's biggest adversary on the field, his biggest rival. I don't think it was a matter of Dan Marino disrespecting Buffalo. It was just one of those old-fashioned rivalries where you hate your opponent. So a lot of Bills fans, again, Miami, those Jim Kelly versus Dan Marino days, they were great. Another guy, to be honest with you, I don't really agree about this one much, Gronk. And it's all because of one play, that cheap shot on Tredavious White when Tredavious had an interception in 2017. Filthy cheap shot from behind. I don't know, man. I consider that more of a moment, a bad moment, a bad reaction to frustration. I don't think Gronk is a dirty player. I don't think 99 out of 100 times he does something like that. That's just my opinion. Some of you might disagree. I think a lot of fans don't like him because of his overall attitude, that cockiness, that swag that he has. Another guy, and this is I do agree with, Jarvis Landry former Dolphins receiver now with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, what more needs to be said? He had a cheap shot on Aaron Williams in 2016 down in Miami that more or less derailed, if not essentially ended Aaron Williams' career. So that was a dirty, filthy cheap shot. He ruined a player's career. Very unapologetic, it feels like to me anyway, about it. Another one that an old friend of mine brought up, and I didn't really think about this initially, but it makes great sense, was former Dallas Cowboys, now Fox announcer, Jimmy Johnson. Of course, he won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys, beat Buffalo twice in the Super Bowl. And he didn't really seem to have a lot of respect for the Bills as worthy adversaries, worthy opponents at that time. Very disliked by Buffalo sports fans. Again, not just because Dallas beat Buffalo twice in the Super Bowl, but just as Demeanor and his attitude towards Buffalo, it wasn't great. So he's on there, got two more. And these were the top two vote getters. Second place, Tom Brady. I mean, no big surprise there. Half of it is because of just jealousy, to be honest with you. The guy went 29 and three in his career with New England. I mean, his career is not over, but as a Patriot, he went 29 and three against the Buffalo Bills. That's a, uh, man, that's tough. That's a stat that's unbelievable. 32 times he's played the Bills, 29 times he came out on top. So that's enough right there to make you hate him. But here's something that not all fans remember, but you should. I wouldn't call it the nastiest comment ever, but when he was talking about his father, I can't remember who it was for. It was an interview though, talking about his dad and how he supported him very early in his career. And this is the exact quote he said. And even when I started my pro career, he traveled to Buffalo. This is Tom talking about his dad. I don't know if you guys have ever been to hotels in Buffalo. They're not the nicest places in the world, but he would still travel to those. It was great to grow up in a house like that and feel so supported by your mom and dad. Again, not the biggest dig in the history of the world at Buffalo. And obviously, and rightfully so, Bill's fans (laughs) took heavy exception to that. So you combine that, with his record, he was kind of an easy choice in number two, and then number one. And here's actually the premise for doing this topic to begin with: Brian Cox Jr. signed with the Buffalo Bills this week. Defensive end, fourth-year player. The signing itself doesn't really mean much. I mean, honestly, unless a, a, a rash of injuries happen over training camp and preseason, if there is one, of course. I don't see the guy making the the roster, certainly not the active roster to start the year. The Bills are pretty stacked at defensive end. But anyway, his dad, Brian Cox Sr., the public enemy number one for Buffalo Bills fans, going back 25, almost 30 years now, course 1993, came out of the tunnel with the Dolphins, double middle finger salute to Bills fans at the stadium. I read his story and I got to give... John Wuerl from the Associated Press Credit, because this was in his story. I didn't know the exact quote, so I'm pulling this from John's story in the AP. But he wrote about, and this is, again, regarding Brian Cox Jr. signing and talking about his father. John wrote, in the week before the game, Cox was quoted as saying, I don't like the Buffalo Bills as a team. I don't like them as people. I don't like the city. And I don't like the organization. Two years later, in another game of Buffalo, Cox spit in the direction of Bills fans while being escorted off the field after being ejected for a fight with running back Carl Gardner. Which, by the way, I do remember that. They were like fighting in the parking lot or some shit. So Brian Cox, I mean, if you would have told me 27 years ago, this man's son would be a Buffalo Bill right now, I'd say you're nuts. He was the prototypical villain. So anyway, all right, that's one topic. Let's get to the next one. What do you got?
0: With some time to digest it now. What are your thoughts on the Buffalo Bills 2020 NFL Draft
1: class? I liked it. I really did. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, it's not looking like it'll be a star. I mean, you never know, of course. But on the surface, it doesn't appear to be star-studded draft for the Bills. Of course, a big reason being that they didn't have a first-rounder. So I don't expect to see a Trey White or a Tremaine Edmonds coming out of this class. But I'll tell you what. It was a very practical, very useful, very purposeful draft. Again, void of stars probably, but some guys who have pretty defined roles. I'll run through these picks real quick here. The biggest one, of course, being AJ Epinesa. A surprise, I think. A surprise because I don't think many people thought he would be available at 54. Now, I'm no draft expert. I didn't do a real mock draft, but I read a lot of them if for no other reason, just to pass the time and learn about some of these players. And I'd say almost half of the mock drafts that I read had this guy going in the first round. And I don't think I saw one where he was on the board at 54. So I think this was more of a case of a, a true, legitimate best player available scenario for Brandon Bean. I don't think that they came necessarily in this draft looking to get a defensive end at pick 54. They spent a lot of resources earnest offseason upgrading this position. Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, and now A.J. Epinesa. I'll tell you what, this defensive line is very much revamped. It could be really good. It was good last year. And at first, they're like, all right, well, they lose Shaq. They lose Jordan Phillips. That kind of sucks. Shaq had a very good year last year. Well-rounded year. Jordan Phillips, nine and a half sacks. Second most in the entire NFL among defensive tackles. That's a pretty big blow. But again, you go out, you get Addison. You get Jefferson, you get Butler. Now you draft Ebenezer. That's really good. By the way, it also might mean the end. At least the end is near for Trent Murphy. Seven and a half million or something like that. They could save by cutting them. Because if you look at it this way, so you got Jerry Hughes and Addison. Let's assume those guys are the starters. You have Quentin Jefferson. Now you have Ebenezer. That's four. Is Trent Murphy going to get all that money to be the fifth defensive end? I don't think the Bills use pick 54 to be a guy who's the fifth defensive end. The thing is, Trent Murphy, not necessarily going to get cut. He could get traded. Normally I'd be like, there's nobody in the world that's going to pick up that salary, but he's only got one more year, one more year left. And here's the deal too. With no training camp, likely who knows when this is going to start up. Teams around the league are going to be more open now than ever to bringing in veterans who are proven they know what they're going to get as opposed to taking chances with rookies, developmental guys, younger guys where you don't know what you're going to get. So for that reason alone, I wouldn't be shocked to see Brandon Bean be able to flip Trent Murphy for something. I mean, not much. We're talking sixth, seventh rounder, but that's better than nothing. So anyway, I think that was a scenario where the Bills did not expect to go defensive end in 54, but with the player there, they had to. Zach Moss in round three. I like that pick a lot. I think he fills a role very well. Brandon Bean, I think Sean McDermott too, actually more so even McDermott, kind of didn't mince words when they said that they wanted a running back who was more of a downhill guy, like a Frank Gore guy, and Zach Moss fits that bill. And the thing about what I like most about this pick is last year with the Bills, now to be fair to Frank Gore, you're talking 36-year-old Frank Gore here, when he was in on first and second down, I mean, don't get me wrong, the Bills threw the ball some, some play action here and there, but for the most part, you knew what the offense was going to look like. Wasn't much of a threat in the passing game with Frank Gore on the field. That won't be the case with Zach Moss because he can catch the ball. Now he's known as a hard runner. Again, that Frank Gore type, but I like the versatility. Bruce on the podcast on Tuesday was talking about predictability when an offense is predictable. And I think with a guy like Zach Moss and obviously, of course, Devin Singletary, it's going to keep defenses on their toes. I think he's a really good, legit, 1B, running back to Devin Singletary's 1A. So with your first two picks, you got a guy in Epinesa who probably not going to be a star, but I think he's going to be a solid pro. Maybe what the Bills wanted Trent Murphy to be when they sign him. With Zach Moss, I think he got a good, I don't think he's going to go out, I don't think he's going to be Dalvin Cook, but he's not going to be TJ Eldon either. You know what I'm saying? So I like that pick a lot. Gabriel Davis in the fourth round. Honestly, I don't know much about him. I know he's productive. A weak runner from what I hear, but fast, good hands, can catch contested balls. And with his size, he is the complete opposite of what the Bills had at receiver among their first three anyway, between Diggs, John Brown, and Cole Beasley. So for that reason, I like that in the fourth round. The fifth round guy, the quarterback, this is one that kind of, I don't want to say shockwaves, but definitely a surprise was Jake Fromm going in the fifth round. Now he's a guy who I think was mocked And again, mock drafts, I get it. They don't mean nothing. But a lot of people thought that Fromm would be gone before the fifth round. And Brandon Bean sounds like a guy who thought that as well because, again, I don't think he expected to take a quarterback. But when the guy that he thought was a third round grade is there in the fifth, you do it. Now, I don't know a ton about him. I know that he's got a weak arm. He's an intellectual guy with a weak arm. A lot of Matt Barkley comparisons, I get it. I compared him at the time. In fact, when I talked to Bruce on Tuesday, I compared him to being a more high-profile Nate Peterman. Now, I need to walk that back a little bit. I'm going to be completely honest with you. On Monday of this week, I was listening to uh, the Billsby podcast with Joe B. and, of course, Matt Fairburn. And Matt talked about Fromm and some Nate Peterman comparisons, and he didn't like them. Talking about selling Fromm short when you do that because Nate Peterman was a historically bad NFL quarterback. And to be fair, he's right about all that. He really is. I wasn't talking about him saying that Fromm to me is like Peterman because I think if Fromm plays, he's going to be one of the worst quarterbacks who's ever played in the NFL. I was just talking about his arm strength, anticipation, which could be a strength. He just reminds me of that type of quarterback. But anyway, it was a surprise. I was surprised that the pick was there. It makes sense to an extent. If he's going to be another Matt Barkley, it's not like Matt Barkley is 40 years old right now. Sure, he's in the last year of his contract, but if you're happy with him, if he's a good mentor, a good guy to have in the room with Josh Allen, why not resign him? It's not like he's going to hit the market next year. I'm talking, of course, about Barkley and get starter money somewhere else. So, I don't know how I feel about it. Well, time will tell. Obviously, I'm going to be patient with that. It just didn't do a lot for me at the time. Then the Bills go in the sixth round here. Kicker, Tyler Bass. That's a a very sensible pick. You're talking a guy in the sixth round who very well potentially could end up unseating Steven Hoschka. That pick has potential, that's for sure. Second sixth rounder, Isaiah Hodgkins. Maybe... I'll tell you this, the top three receivers are obviously set in stone. I think being a fourth rounder, Gabriel Davis, and the fact that he's a lot different in terms of physicality and size, speed, stuff like that, I think he can have a good chance to be that fourth receiver. Isaiah McKenzie's back. He's probably the five. You're going to keep six. If you include Andre Roberts, who's of course a Pro Bowl caliber returner, I don't know what the path is to Hodgkin's making the team. Maybe he can impress and... Take Isaiah McKenzie's spot, practice squad. Who knows? And then last team, when I said practice squad, Dane Jackson from Pittsburgh, he was a seventh round pick corner. Little surprised that the Bills did not go corner. In fact, I don't want to call it a criticism because had I been drafting and AJ Epinesa was on the board, I probably would have took him to 54 myself, but I really was hoping the Bills would take a cornerback early in the draft. But it's hard to complain when you get Epinesa and Zach Moss, two guys who I think Aren't starters, they might never be full-time starters for the Bills, but they're going to be big-time contributors. So all in all, I like to draft in very high grades among experts. I saw Mel Hyper gave the Bills the highest grade among the AFC East teams. Good draft, practical, not full of all-stars, but yeah, very sensible. All right, next topic, what's up? On Thursday, the
0: Buffalo Bills announced the jersey numbers from all their draft picks. Quarterback Jake Fromm will wear number 10. Cole Beasley wore number 10 last year after signing as a free agent from Dallas, where he previously wore number 11. Presumably he will now wear number 11 with the Bills. Is this bothersome for fans who enjoy buying sports jerseys to have numbers changed
1: so easily? Let me say this. This is why I hate buying sports jerseys, for current players at least anyway. I hate it. Cole Beasley signs with the Bills last year, gets a nice four-year contract. Number 10 it's being pimped out by marketing, as it should. And fans are going out. In fact, I just looked it up before I started taping here. NFLshop.com is adult-sized Cole Beasley Bills jersey selling between $100 to $125 right now. So you go out, you take your hard-earned money, and you drop $100 on a Cole Beasley football jersey. That's a lot of money, which is fine. But then the guy, because he used to wear another number with another team, one year later... He just goes back and now he's probably... And I'm presuming this. I mean, it's not been confirmed yet. But you got to assume he's going to wear number 11 with Jake Fromm wearing number 10. That's what the Bills... That is official. The Bills assign those numbers and put that out on Twitter on Thursday. I don't like that shit. I think it's bullshit. You're going out. You're spending your hard-earned money on football jerseys so guys can turn around and switch their number after one year. Now, that's one thing. If you go out and you buy... Shaq Lawson jersey, and he's here for a couple of years, he doesn't resign and go somewhere else, shit happens. You know, hey, if you went and bought a Wyatt Teller jersey as a rookie, and then year two, one year later, he gets traded, shit happens. But when you spend $100 on a guy's jersey, and he changes his number because he used to wear that number for his old team, after just one year, that's bullshit. That's a bad investment on your money. Now, I get it. Bills stadium, Bills fans, stadiums all over with Bills fans. They're littered with guys, jerseys with guys who have different numbers and guys who don't play there anymore. But that's, it just, it pisses me off, man. I don't, I think it's a bad look. And the Bills aren't, the. I mean, players all over the league are doing it. And I get it. I don't know, I, I just don't like it. That's why when it comes to, if you're, you won't catch me dead buying a current active football player's jersey. It's not going to happen. If you ever see me wearing a Josh Allen jersey or Tremaine Edmonds jersey, or if you see Patrick walking around in a Zach Moss or an A.J. Epinesa jersey, I'm going to tell you right now, it's because my wife, my daughter, it's because someone bought that shit for me. I am not spending my hard-earned money on a current active jersey because they may be gone in a year, or even worse, like Cole Beasley, they're just going to change their number. If I buy a jersey, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a Thurman Thomas or a Jim Kelly or an Andre Reid or Kyle Williams or an Eric Wood jersey. Somebody who built their legacy in Buffalo, who's done playing. Is he going to jump to another team? Is he going to switch their number? That's where I'm getting investment for my money. So I'm doing that. Well, I'm just buying, which is what I usually do, by the way. I buy bills, team gear. It's not that I'm anti-buying stuff that has Buffalo bills on it. I'll buy a t-shirt, I'll buy a fleece, a hoodie. But again, apologies to Jeremy White. I know WGR, my guy, It's a big thing on Saturday. Sports Jersey Saturday, big thing on Twitter. I love watching them, but nah, I'm not going to be that guy, man. I am not spending money anymore on current player jerseys. And this Cole Beasley switching from 10 to 11 after just one year, that's a big reason why. All right, Tammy, what do you got up next?
0: Despite being just 13th in the conference and 25th overall in the league, a new potential format could have the Buffalo Sabres make the NHL playoffs. The format being reported is the top six teams in each division making the playoffs, and Buffalo currently resides in sixth place in the Atlantic Division.
1: I think Tammy is uh, almost short-circuiting a little bit there. Anyway, this is funny. Sabres could be in the playoffs despite being near the bottom of the league. And let me say this too right off the bat here. I don't want to complain too much because this ultimately all I give a shit about is that hockey and sports in general are back. That's going to be a theme you'll hear throughout this podcast a couple more times today. But anyway... I want to read an excerpt of an article. It was in ESPN. I can't remember the author, so I can't credit him. But it is, this is from ESPN.com and worth noting. It says, assuming no regular season games get played, the most popular playoff scenario is the following. The top six teams from the division meet in one city. They would open with the best of three series between the one and two seeds that would decide a divisional winner. Then three plays six and four plays five for the right to keep playing. So yeah, six top six teams from each of the four divisions in the NHL. By the way, this format, if it were to happen, not only would the Sabres make the playoffs, they'd be playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is pretty ironic. But yeah, it's crazy. Look, the Sabres right now are 13 points out of a wild card. If the season wasn't interrupted and we are waking up tomorrow and looking at the standings, The Sabres are 13 points out of a wild card and they're in. Meanwhile, the Rangers, they're just two points out of a wild card and they're out. They're out because they're in seventh place in the Metro and the Sabres, despite being 25th in the NHL right now, are actually in sixth place in the Atlantic division. So yeah, the Sabres would be in. Now, of course, again, Majority of fans, myself included, they just want to see hockey. Don't really care who's playing who. Want to see sports. I get that. Sabres fans, a lot of them anyway, obviously would be happy to see the Sabres playing in the playoffs. It's kind of laughable though. You got to admit that. So an eight year streak doesn't become nine because of this technicality. There's not a team, maybe in sports, that is less deserving of being in the playoffs than the Buffalo Sabres. I'm just going to leave it at that. And one other thing too, if the Sabres make the playoffs, is Jason Botterill definitely keeping his job? Anyway, Tammy, let's regroup here. What do you got next? Tim
0: Graham and John Vogel recently wrote a feature on Terry and Kim Pigola for The Athletic that caused a big buzz in the Western New York community. The article featured several now former PSE employees and also cited a few team sources stating the PSE enterprise is anything but a smooth running operation that may be in over their heads.
1: I'll tell you what, this was a pretty explosive piece, man. This had been, I'm talking about PSE here, a fire. It's been going on for a while now. It was always gonna spread. Let me read something that Tim Graham wrote, which by the way, the article itself, Tim and John for The Athletic, outstanding job. It got a ton of responses, a ton of play. I was seeing it all over the place. Let me read something Tim wrote in a follow-up chat with fans on The Athletic. I think it was maybe the next day or so after... That article came out. He says, the way the Pagula spent so heavily on side projects, that had nothing to do with winning football and hockey games, spread them thin financially once the petroleum industry began to struggle last year. I mean, that's not wrong, is it? Sounds pretty accurate to me. Now, people are, are on both sides. Some fans think that Twitter and social media has a lot to do with this Pagula hate going on and that it's not really the sentiment. Of the majority of Buffalo sports fans. In fairness I'll read a tweet from one of them. At Gerbal I had tweeted at me. The fan base turn turned on them. That's ridiculous. The Twitter echo chamber. In no way represents the overall Buffalo fan base. Neither does the podcasting crew. I agree it's deeper than the Sabres being bad. But it's a good chunk of the dissatisfaction. I mean that's reasonable right? Is the anger at the Bagulas pretty much fixated on Twitter, which is only a tiny portion of overall Buffalo sports fans? Is it because the Sabres suck? And they do suck. Let's not kid ourselves here. They suck. They suck and they might be a playoff team, but regardless, they still suck. So what do you think about the Bagulas? Do they have any real pulse for the overall Buffalo sports fan? It's a fair question to ask. There's another thing too, whether it's, Stadium renovations or a new stadium at some point, the Bagulas are a trillion percent going to be going to Mark Poland Cars, the Erie County executive, and asking for a lot, a lot of public money. Do you think this hurts their cause? And that's not to mention, you know, that if every this is with everything being fine, this pandemic going on, COVID 19, it's crippling the economy, it's only going to make things harder for a new stadium or for renovations to get built. Definitely something worth monitoring. Now, I'm going to reserve my personal takes on this because I really don't have any at this time. This is where I really wish I would have my boy Joe, who does the running with Joe with me, segments on this podcast. He's got a ton of hot takes on the Bagulas, So I'll save that as its own separate topic for another time. But yeah, fire story for sure. Very well done and a ton, and I mean a ton. Big-time reactions from fans, as expected. All right, let's move on. The Cincinnati
0: Bengals released quarterback Andy Dalton on Thursday. Dalton spent nine years with the Bengals and holds most team passing records. The team saves over $17 million with his release. Of course, the Bengals took Joey Burrow first overall in the draft last
1: week. I mean, I don't know that it's a surprise. I think it's more of a situation where because of who Andy Dalton is, because of what he did for the franchise, that he probably went to them. Obviously, Joe, Joey Burrow is the future and the present of the Cincinnati Bengals. I think it's a case where Dalton went to management and said, can you let me go now? Give me an opportunity to find a team. Surely they tried to trade him and there were no takers. So at this point, they're letting him go now at the end of April, beginning of May, as opposed to leaving him hanging on until you know September, August, whenever before letting him go. So I respect the Bengals for doing that. I got two thoughts on this. Number one, from a Buffalo Bills perspective, I'm just going to say this. I think it's fair to question, is the guy a fit for the Bills? I definitely think he is more so than Cam Newton. He's not the threat. He's not as good as a healthy Cam Newton, but Andy Dalton's way better than Matt Barkley. Nobody's going to tell me otherwise. And any quarterback move the Bills make or don't make, Jake Fromm, at least at this point anyway, maybe I won't feel this way in a year or two, but right now, Jake Fromm does not factor into anything the Bills do or don't do when it comes to upgrading potentially the quarterback position. Now, Nick Filipowski, who used to work for Channel 4 Sportscaster, he's out of a sports media business for now, but I'm still friends with him on Twitter. We were going back and forth a little bit and he spoke of unity and commodity between Josh Allen and Matt Barkley. I buy that. I totally do. I honestly do. But I added this and I went I went back at him and I said this and I'm posing this to you listening as well. Sure, Matt Barkley is a good guy to be around Josh Allen, a good guy in the quarterback room. And he has some ability as a quarterback to make some plays, maybe carry a game or carry a team, I should say, for a game or two if he absolutely has to be, especially depending on who they're playing or who's coming up on the schedule. But I'll say this. And I'm just gonna say it. If Josh, all the talent that the Bills have surrounded themselves with right now, the revamping of the defensive line, trading a first round pick to get Stephon Diggs, a lot of talent on this team. And this could happen to about 25 other teams around the league. So I'm not just saying this is the Bills. But if Josh Allen goes out there in week two and he breaks his ankle, season's done, ain't it? Are the Bills going anywhere with Matt Barkley as their starting quarterback over the long term? Am I talking about a one to two week patch job because Josh Allen took a shot to the head or bruised his shoulder real bad, taking a hit and he's out for a game or two. I'm talking broken ankle, ACL, shoulder separation, something that's going to keep him out for the year. That's a wrap to me anyway. Maybe I'm wrong. But to me, that's a wrap on the 2020 Bills if Matt Barkley's your guy for the long term. So when you get an opportunity to get a guy like Andy Dalton, who's done a lot of good things in this league, who's won before, I think he took the Bengals at the playoffs four or five times. I'm going to make that move, man. I'm going to sign him. If I'm the, I don't expect, by the way, I'm telling you what I think the Bills should do. I am by no means telling you what I think the Bills are going to do. So let's differentiate that right now. There's a big difference. Don't think the Bills are going to, but I think the Bills should give strong consideration if he'd be interested in coming here to sign in Andy Dalton. Now, of course, Andy Dalton is one of the more popular non-Bills quarterbacks ever in Buffalo because of helping the Bills break that playoff drought in 2017, which doesn't have anything to do with this at all. I'm just pointing that out, but I'm making that move. Now, assuming that doesn't happen, which is likely, I don't know where he lands, just like with Cam Newton, I don't know. I'll tell you this though, It feels to me like New England, I don't buy it. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that they didn't draft a quarterback. I don't care that they have the second fewest cap room in the NFL right now. They'd have to restructure, reshuffle, trade, cut guys. I don't buy the New England Patriots going into the season with Jared Stidham as the QB one. I just don't buy it. And I don't care about the cap situation. I totally get Bill Belichick. Arguably the greatest NFL coach in the history of football. The Patriots can go one in 15. Instead of him could be the worst quarterback ever. He ain't getting fired. I get that. He's bought himself a year to rebuild. See what he has at quarterback. I get it. I just don't see it. A guy like Andy Dalton, you could argue. I'll tell you what. All the hype Tom Brady gets, you might make a reasonable argument to me that Annie Dalton right now, today, is a better quarterback than 43-year-old Tom Brady is had he stayed with the Patriots. Just my take on it. Again, if I'm the Bills, I'm interested in signing him. And if I'm the Patriots, I am signing him. All right, what do we got?
0: James Winston signed with the New Orleans Saints the day after the 2020 NFL draft concluded, signing for just one year at $1.1 $1. $1 million. Winston threw for over 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns last year with Tampa Bay, but also threw for 30 interceptions.
1: It's crazy to think that a guy who was seemingly in line to be a franchise quarterback and get so much money, a guy who's already made a pile of money, has to sign for one year and just $1.1 million. But I'll tell you what, I actually think it's a really good move, man. Given what's happened, I think this is a decent bounce back, a nice stopgap. For Jameis Winston, because look, the physical tools are obviously all there. The guy threw for over fifty one hundred yards last year and thirty-three touchdowns. I don't care that Bruce Arians was the coach. I don't care if they do the ball 90 times a game. Those stats are impressive. What kills him, the reason why he's making one point one million right now instead of twenty to twenty five or thirty million a year is because Duke can't stop making bad decisions. Thirty interceptions last year horrific, and I watch a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers football, living down here for right now anyway, in Florida, I watch a lot of games, and I'll tell you, man, some of these interceptions, oh, I didn't even throw a pick, but these were like dumb, stupid plays, which has kind of plagued Jameis Winston's entire career, anyway, a great chance to learn from Drew Brees, one of the all-time greats, Jameis already has all the mental tools, or the physical tools, maybe now spending some time with Drew Brees, this can help him on the mental side, being in that room, picking his brain, learning the process that Drew Brees goes to, one of the consummate all-time professionals. I think this is a good move. Plus, you know, if Drew Brees goes down, I think James Winston's going to get a shot, just like Teddy Bridgewater did last year, who, by the way, played well, converting that into a good, I think he got a three-year deal for, I don't know how much money, but he had a good deal with Carolina. I'm talking about Teddy Bridgewater. If he doesn't, he'll be in the market again next year. I mean, it is what it is. Maybe Drew Brees retires after this year and doesn't play two years. If That's the case. Again, if Jameis is around that room for a year, if he wins favor with Sean Payton, maybe this is his show, Jameis Winston's show in 2021. I'll tell you this much. I don't care how much money they're giving him. I don't think Hill is the future QB one for the Saints. So I'm going to put that out there right now. This is a good opportunity for Jameis Winston and I'm happy for him. All right, a couple more. What do we got here? The Green Bay
0: Packers traded up in the first round to draft quarterback Jordan Love despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers threw for over 4,000 yards with 26 touchdown passes and just four interceptions and led the Packers to a 13-3 and record last season and to the NFC Championship game. Rodgers still has four more years left on his contract and is 36 years old.
1: I'll tell you what, in the days that follow a draft every year, it takes me a little bit of time to come up with three to five teams who I feel like they had a really good draft, and then three to five teams who had the worst draft and kind of compare and contrast it and come up with one, not this year. This took about a half a second to me. What the hell are the Green Bay Packers thinking trading up for quarterback in the first round right now? And that's nothing against Jordan Love. I don't got nothing against him. Nice developmental player. Maybe he'll be a great quarterback down the road. He better be, tell you that right now. Because they do this. Aaron Rodgers still has four years left on his contract. Just a horrible draft. I, I don't understand it. The guy leads the Packers to a 13-3 record. Throws for 4,000 yards. 26 touchdowns. Four interceptions. 13-3. and Still got four years left on his contract. 36 years old. He's not washed up. He's not done. He may not be quite in his prime. But he's still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. At worst. At worst, he's one of the better ones. At best, he's still elite. And you go draft a quarterback. What is that? Matt LaFleur, I don't know what it is. I saw an interview with Brett Favre, I think it was on Pro Football Talk this week's NBC Sports, something like that, where he said that he doesn't expect Aaron Rodgers to finish his career now. This is going to leave a bad taste in his mouth. And ultimately, not this year, but ultimately this will result in Aaron Rodgers moving on. I hate the pick. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I'm pissed off. Not just with that pick, by the way. Second round two. They have Aaron Jones, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Great dual threat. Run the ball, catch the ball. And they go into round two. Round two and draft Bo Dillon, a running back who's like 250 pounds, smash mouth guy. Are you trying to win every game 14 to 13 now? What is going on with the Packers? I I just don't get it. Matt LaFleur trying to get rid of both Aaron's? I love Aaron Jones. Why do you need to have a big smashing running back in the second round who can't catch the ball out of the backfield? Again, this just goes against everything that is the Green Bay Packers offense. Everything against it. Smash mouth running back. Just doesn't make any sense to me. You know what else doesn't make any sense to me, too? One of the most heralded, deepest wide receiving draft classes in the history of the NFL draft. 36 wide receivers get drafted. Zero by the Packers. Zero. No proven commodity on this roster after Devontae Adams. And they don't draft one single wide receiver. They took a tight end, and H-back, combo, whatever you want to call them, a hybrid. Josiah Deguerra in round three. I just, everything about this draft for me was stupid. I don't know what the Packers are doing. And it seems to me like Matt LaFleur is started the paperwork to get Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay. All right. Two more, man. What do we got?
0: The NBA is reportedly in talks with Disney World to have the league resume the season there. The NBA would basically self-isolate all of the teams, players, and staffers there, essentially quarantined in that area for the duration of the season and playoffs.
1: I'll tell you what, I'll keep this one short and sweet. It's the same thing I feel about hockey and baseball as well. I just want to see... Sports. I want to see action. I really don't care what the circumstance is. I'll worry about 2021 or even the year after that to have regular full seasons in stadiums with packed fans. I could wait for that, but I can't wait much longer to see sports. So I need it to happen. Disney World seems like the perfect place to do this sort of thing. There's enough on site basketball courts. Some of them already are equipped for television broadcasting. I'm sure they can figure out the rest. There's enough space. There's enough things to do, enough hotels that people are going to stay sane because basically they're going to be under quarantine during this, all in that certain little area, teams, players, league personnel, team personnel. I'm talking about, again, I don't care at this point, just like with baseball, we're talking about having 10 teams playing three divisions to really cut down on the traveling. I don't care. The Yankees don't get to play the Houston Astros this year because that's the only alternative. I'm good with it. Don't care. Just one sports, by the way, especially basketball. Unpopular opinion. I say this once in a while on the pod. I'm going to shoot it at you again. Sorry, Buffalo Sabres fans, but giving the NBA before the Sabres every day. All right. We've reached the end. Last one. One more. Not a fun one either.
0: The coronavirus has hit close to home for the Talking Buffalo podcast over this past week.
1: Never want to end any podcast topic segment with this, but I need to today. Uh, Jeff Boyd, many of you might recognize any more on him in a second. His father passed away this week from complications due to COVID-19 at just the age of 62. Jeff has been on this podcast. Again, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, or even if you're only a semi-regular listener, you probably know who I'm talking about. Jeff's been on this podcast with me. I went back and looked 15 times. 15 times he's hooked up with me and done a great job. In fact, me, Jeff, and Tim Graham did a show last year live at the Audubon North in Amherst, had some wings, and it was a really fun time. Jeff's a very, I've said it many times, Jeff Boyd, Bruce Nolan, two of the most unheralded but talented Buffalo sports talk voices out there. I love those guys very much, and Jeff's even a better person. It just sucks. It it breaks my heart to see anybody And I mean, anybody lose somebody that they love because of this dreaded virus. It's just horrible, man. It really is. I feel bad for Jeff. My heart goes out to him, his entire family. And I hope they get through it. And I hope everyone stays safe. I got to say this, and this is how I'm going to end this podcast today. Let this be a reinforcement. I think at this point, people realize this is no joke. But I think sometimes, and this is very sad and unfortunate, but sometimes it takes something like this happening, people hearing about something like this happening to really reinforce how important it is that we do everything that we possibly can. Not so much just to protect ourselves, but to protect the lives of other people. You might be younger and healthy. You might get this virus and you might be fine. But you might go home Unknowingly, even having it and giving it to your, one of your parents, your or your grandparents or an aunt or an uncle, something like that. And they're not they're not gonna end up having the same fate that you did. So just be careful, please, 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 man. And again, hearts out to Jeff and to his family? Uh, love you, buddy, man. I do. All right, on that note, again, that is going to do it for this episode. I wanna thank you very much for listening. Also want to thank today's supporters of the show, 26 Shirts, Automute, Sounds Assured. Guys, if you haven't done so, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, rate rating, review, all that fun stuff. It helps me continue to grow this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, Talking Buffalo Podcast. And follow me on Twitter, at PamaranTweet. I'm there all the time. I live on Twitter. Don't email me, don't text me, don't call me. If you really want to find me. Just look on Twitter. I'll be there. So anyway, thank you very much. Really do appreciate it. I end every single episode the same exact way. Thanking you for listening because I know how many good quality podcasts there are out there. You're listening to this. It means a lot to me. And again, typically I have a guest just been under the weather. I kind of wanted to grind this out. Didn't want to miss an episode. I will be back to the same old standard next week, Tuesday and Friday. I'll have a guest with me. Have a good one. Have a good safe weekend. Please, please, please stay safe. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.